I'll be asking you to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. You have a little trouble understanding me. Sometime in the last day or so, I decided to bite myself on the tongue. I not I do not suggest that to any of you. Anyway, it hurts a little bit and makes it a little more difficult for me to enunciate. Um, it's interesting what BJ said about the offering and whatnot. Um, as we were singing, I don't know why, but I looked over there at the tree and those little doves, they're worth, what a piece, 500? Well, the thought just occurred to me as I was looking at that tree. I just kind of imagined when it's full, I could just imagine those little doves flying in every different direction carrying the gospel across the world. Um, you say, well, what does that have to do with what B.J. said? Well, it has to do this. They did a wonderful job this year. But if people like you don't give, they don't have an opportunity to go. And maybe you're not real pleased with your singing talent, but I think you do pretty good with your giving talent. And if we don't give, they don't go. Well, I hope you're there in Matthew chapter 2. I gave some thought to making this a message for next Sunday morning, and I changed my mind because I, I thought well, maybe that's not the subject to deal with immediately before Christmas. But the title of my message tonight is Envy, Jealousy, and King Herod. I'd like to talk with you tonight especially about envy, because I know that's not what you think of as a Christmas subject, but I really think it needs to be addressed in our day and time. Thanks to television and social media and advertising, envy may be the fastest growing sin in the 21st century. I think it's been accelerated some by things like Facebook. Hey, look what I have. Look where I ate dinner. Look what I just bought. Look where I went on vacation. Look at how many friends I have. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what my kids accomplished. Look at how happy I am. Don't you wish you were like me? And nowhere does our preoccupation with envy show itself more than in the midst of the Christmas season. Christmas has become a season of envy. Before we go any further, I want to I share with you the difference between envy and jealousy, and I've done this before, but it is, uh, it, it's not a pet peeve of mine, but I, I often hear people misuse the words. Envy and jealousy are not the same. They're rather different. 
Jealousy can be good. God is jealous for us in a godly way. Envy is never good. It's never good. Jealousy rarely is good, although there are occasions where the Bible speaks of the jealousy of Almighty God. Jealousy is for the most part God accepted. Jealousy is an evil lust to keep anyone else from having what you already have. And the best way to remember jealousy is, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, 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 mine. That's jealousy. Envy is a corrupt desire for what someone else has. Envy is a corrupt desire for what someone else has. And and it says, gimme, 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 gimme. So that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's jealousy. Gimme, 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 gimme. That's envy. Now, let's look at a very familiar story found in Matthew chapter 2. We'll begin our reading in verse 1, and I'll be making some comments along the way. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the wise men, or the Magi, most scholars say, almost all scholars say, were Gentiles. They weren't Jews, but they they saw this star in the sky and and they knew something amazing had happened, and so they uh, they went in the direction of the star uh, to find a king. Now Herod was not a Jew either; he was an Idumean, appointed by the Romans who reigned over Judah and Samaria and Galilee and the surrounding area from thirty-seven B.C. to four B.C. And so we know he died pretty shortly after Christ was born. He was ruthless. He was paranoid. Always concerned about maintaining control and and power in his throne. And and in order to do so, he he put down anyone who he thought represented uh, a threat. He murdered his wife. He murdered his three sons. He murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his brother-in-law. He murdered his uncle. And of course, many others as well as the babies in Bethlehem, all just to maintain his throne. Kind of reminded me of the modern-day Kim Jong-un who has evidently killed members of his own family in order to maintain his stranglehold on power. The Bible continues, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
That's a quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is placed there in the text as a reminder of another fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus indeed fulfilled. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Of course, these gifts had great significance symbolically. Gold was the symbol of royalty, and Jesus was king. Frankincense was the symbol of divinity. It was the incense that was burned in the holy place. Myrrh was the symbol of death, and of course, Jesus would die on the cross. And so in these symbols, we see the, the royalty of Christ, that he is king. We see the divinity of Christ, that he is God in the flesh. And we see uh, the death that is predicted, that is prophesied, that of course is the death that brings about our salvation. Now, the scripture goes on to say, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Still another prophetic fulfillment. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. And he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Excuse me. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Here's another fulfillment of prophecy found in Jeremiah chapter 31. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Herod suffered from both jealousy and envy. First, he was jealous of Jesus, thinking that Jesus had come to challenge him and to take away his throne. And Herod wanted to keep what he thought was his own. He wanted to keep his throne and keep his power. So he was jealous. But second, Herod was envious. He was envious of Jesus because a delegation of wise men had come from far, far away just to worship him and him just a baby 
Herod wanted to receive what he had never enjoyed. No one had ever come to worship Herod. Certainly not a delegation from a faraway land. Certainly not when Herod was still but a child. Herod wanted to receive what he had never enjoyed, what belonged to Christ and Christ alone. Herod wanted to be worshipped. Now tonight I'm going to limit my remarks to Herod's envy. Envy is such an ugly sin. I guess over the last three years or so, I have been fascinated by the seven deadly sins. Now, you don't hear much about it in, in Baptist churches because a lot of people associate the seven deadly sins with the Catholic teaching. But whether it's Catholic teaching or not, they are seven deadly sins. And one of those seven deadly sins is the sin of envy. Envy will consume you. A lot of people have been consumed by envy. When you start looking at what someone else has and you can't think about anything else but what that individual has and you start scheming and striving to think how you can have what they have, envy will consume you. It'll poison your mind. It'll destroy your relationships. I think a lot of marriages fall prey to envy. Always looking around at others and thinking somehow or another, why can't we be like that couple? Why can't we have what they have? Why can't we go where they go? And before long, you are so you are so consumed by envy for what others have, you forget what you have. You forget about your own life, your own marriage, your own family. You know, God's been so good to all of us. Why do we need to look around and and be discontent because we see something someone else has? I mean, even you can look at the, the people who sang this morning if you're not careful. and Envy their voices. God has given you something equally precious in your own life. And if we learn to focus on what God has given us and who we are in Christ and not worry about what we don't have or or who we aren't or, or what we can't do, just be thankful for what you can do and understand you're, you're a vital part of, of God's plan. You know... Most of you have an automobile. You know, there's some things in automobiles that draw a lot of attention. Those shiny rims on your car, truck, draw a lot of attention. If you've got those fancy leather seats, that draws a lot of attention. But somewhere in that car or truck is a bolt and a nut. And a washer. And every little piece of hardware on that truck has a purpose. And you can have a lot of trouble if just one bolt is missing. If just one washer is not put on by the manufacturer. If just one single small part is missing. You can have a a truck or a car stop dead still. 
And, and so we have to remember we, we are part of the church. Maybe it's just a bolt. But God thought it important enough that he would call us to be a bolt and he would put us in a place and he would tighten us down and he would say, you hold your ground so that my church can grow. Envy will destroy your relationships. It'll become a doorway to a hundred different sins. I, I thought it was kind of interesting just to think about all of the damage that envy wrought in the scriptures. Everyone remembers the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was envious of Abel and his offering. In Genesis chapter 4, it led to murder. You remember Rachel and Leah? Rachel was envious of Leah's ability to bear children. It led eventually to a broken family and hatred between siblings in Genesis chapter 30. Then there was the envy of Joseph's brothers toward Joseph, and that led them to selling him into slavery in Genesis 37. Who can forget the envy of David? Who had everything you can imagine a, a, a man could want? But he didn't have the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. And his envy of Uriah led to adultery, conspiracy, lying, and murder. Do you remember the satraps? The satraps were those ruling officials uh, there in Babylon who ruled along with Daniel who was given a special place of prominence and wisdom and skill, and was basically made a, a governor among governors. He was, he was one who watched over and had authority over a number of satraps. And they became envious of him, and, and they, it led them to conspire for his murder, and that's why he was thrown into the lion's den. The envy of the scribes and Pharisees toward the attention Jesus was receiving, led them to crucify him. Matthew chapter 27. You get the idea. Herod was consumed with envy as the Magi discussed their plan to go and worship the king of the Jews. And he could not stand it that they hadn't come to worship him. He lusted for the worship that only Jesus was worthy to receive. And out of that lust, many helpless babies lost their lives. I mean, have you ever thought much about that? Soldiers bursting through a door, grabbing up a precious little baby, Cutting its throat. Why? Because some men from the east did not come and worship King Herod. That's the danger of envy. That's the horrible evil of envy. And make no mistake, there's a lot of envy in our current problem with abortion. 
It's all about people thinking, I want this, I want this, I want that, I want this over here, I want that over there, and this baby is in my way. So kill it. So I can have all that I want. That's how envy works. Today the world longs for the worship and adoration that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Carol Ravolo writes, Envy is frustrated self-exaltation fueled by animosity, resentment, and defensiveness. Envy is acquisitive. And I must admit, I did not know what that meant, okay? Acquisitive, if you think about acquisition, that's the key. Acquisitive means covetous or greedy. Carol Rivolo writes, envy is acquisitive, it's covetous, it's greedy, it's resentful, it's selfish, it is always bad. You feel envy, it's bad, don't do it, step away from it. It wants what others have simply because they have it. It bears grudges against those who have what it doesn't, and it accuses God of being unfair. God, I don't have a swimming pool, and I'm not happy about it. God, I don't have a new car. I'm unhappy about it. God, I don't have that new position. I don't have that that promotion, and I'm not happy. God, I don't have the wife that's the beauty queen, and I'm unhappy. God, I don't have the husband who is the epitome of success. And is known in the gates of the city. I don't have, I don't have, I want, I want. God, give me, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. Envy will drive you to do horrible things. And accuse God of the worst things imaginable. Now, I don't read many people who wrote back in the 1600s, but I ran across this. It wasn't original to me. I read it in someone else's book and I copied it and I want to share it with you. In fact, I want to tell you I've never heard of Nathaniel Vincent. But this Nathaniel Vincent was the one smart cookie. Nathaniel Vincent wrote all the way back in 1684. And by the way, I think people were smarter in the 1600s. I'm telling you, the man who can write something like this is a man who's really in tune with the scripture, and with God. Nathaniel Vincent writes, How much of hell is there in the temper of an envious man? The happiness of another is his misery. The good of another is his affliction. He looks upon the virtue of another with an evil eye and is as sorry at the praise of another as if that praise were taken away from himself. Envy makes him a hater of his neighbor and his own tormentor. Pretty strong stuff. This Christmas joy and contentment will not be found in getting more and better stuff than your neighbor. 
Although that's what many people will try. Today there is such an emphasis on getting the right items and the right brand names. There is so much division and strife between those who have and those who do not have. Jerry Bridges has observed the cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. So let us not envy or stimulate, promote, arouse, incite, provoke, foment, or encourage envy. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says it well. If you've got a moment, why don't you turn there in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 8 through 13. Verses that you know well, or one of which you know very well. Philippians chapter 8 verses, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 through 13. I hope when it comes time for God to call me home that I'll have learned to do this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you now at last have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, think about the good things. And then he says... You know, I, I, I needed your help in times past financially. You were not able to act at that time, but now you are acting, and I am thankful that you are sharing with me according to my need. And then he closes by saying, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Jesus Christ, through Him who strengthens me. This year, Americans will spend $465 billion on Christmas gifts and goodies. I read that and immediately got out my little calculator, did a little ciphering. That amounts to $1,431 a person. Our church 
has over a thousand members. Imagine that every one of our membership actually gave $1,431 to the Lottie Moon offering for international missions. That would mean a total of $1,431,000. Imagine how many doves that would put on that tree. That tree would not be able to hold all the doves. And then imagine those doves taking wings and carrying the gospel across the world. And imagine that same phenomenon happening not only in this church, but in every church. But Indy gets in the way. I know that most messages should start in the scripture. This one did not. This message started on the radio. I must admit, I don't watch, well, I can't can't say I don't watch any. But I, I probably watch less network television than perhaps anyone in Coffee Camp. I just don't watch it. It's boring. It's vile. It's corrupt. It's unimaginative. It's stupid. I probably shouldn't even say stupid. But it is kind of stupid. And, and, and so I watch stuff that you can get on Amazon or I watch reruns and that kind of thing. Although I do watch sports. You know, of course, that's a very disappointing sporting life that I have. But I occasionally, you know, I still got to watch them. I mean, they're going to get beat by everybody, including the loving sisters of the poor. But, you know, that's part of being a Georgia Tech fan. But at any rate, I, I watch sports and I watch some of the rerun stuff and I watch some of the British television programs. But I don't watch major network television. And I'm really out of touch with what's in. And so I'm riding down the road one day. It's Christmas. And they got a lot of luggage commercials on at Christmas. And I remembered back when I was in high school. If you were really, really good. And you were going to go off to school. And your parents really, really loved you. They would buy you one of two things. They would buy you Samsonite luggage or American Tourister. Now, if your parents thought about you like my parents thought about me, you know, you open Sears and Roebuck catalog and you buy whatever's on the bottom of the page. But I guess Americans have this thing about luggage. And I wish... I've been listening for it again. I wish I knew the name of the luggage. I don't. But I'll never forget the commercial. The narrator is talking as though he owns the luggage. And he's talking about how wonderful it is and how it does everything imaginable for the traveler. 
and the commercial comes to a close as the narrator is approaching the carousel at the baggage claim where he's going to pick up his special luggage. And in the distance before he gets there, he sees someone looking at his luggage. He sees someone eyeing his special luggage. And he said, I watched them watch my luggage and I could smell the envy from where I stood. And he said, and I loved the smell of envy. That was a commercial. If that commercial is successful, then it will just spawn a never-ending, never-ending circle or cycle of envy. One of the most ugly, ugly possible Traits that you can see at Christmas time. It's materialism. And for far too many, envy has become the reason for the season. Remember what I shared earlier? The cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. For Herod, that was not possible because Herod did not know God. Herod mistakenly thought he was God. And so he was consumed and destroyed by his own envy. I love that little statement. The cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. You see, Jesus is enough. He's always been enough. And now, I want to share something with you you may never have thought about. We don't know how far the wise men came. But scholars estimate that it took them many months to arrive at their destination there in Bethlehem. And they came all that way bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. That long journey following that star, all the expense of that journey, all the effort of that journey, all the danger of that journey, they make it all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem and then they fall before that little tiny baby, depending on how you interpret scripture, whether the child is a little younger, a little older, but before the baby nevertheless. They fall before and they open their presence and present to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. All that the wise men, however, received in Bethlehem after that long journey and that great sacrifice, all they received was the opportunity to behold Jesus. And yet, he was enough. He still is. It kind of happened to us this morning, didn't it? What did you say the offering was? We brought $7,100 in here. 
And we gave it to some group of kids from Alabama. And what did we get out of it? We got to behold it. We got to behold it. Friends, looking at Jesus, I wouldn't trade that for everything in the world. I think all of us wish we could have given more. And what did we leave with? We left with nothing but a fresh vision of our Savior. And all of us left thinking we got the best thing of all. Jesus was enough for the wise man. And he's still enough for us. Don't you think? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we 